The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow. And she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, 
Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed. And that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story. And that's how little God is mentioned. Right? The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story. And that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. Good morning, Sherman Street. Um, I got to study Ruth this week, and it was so lovely. Uh, Ruth is a beautiful story. Uh, I only had the scripture readers read you the first chapter this morning, um, but I hope that you got the gist of the story from the video. If not, uh, you can read it. It's only four chapters. Uh, we'll wait. Just kidding, we're not gonna wait. Um, Ruth is such a quiet story. It's an everyday kind of story. You know, there's no heroics, no fanfare, no miracles or visions, no prophets, no pillars of fire or battles. It's just life. 
um, life for a couple of widows and a farmer. God is hardly even mentioned in its pages, and you might be tempted to think that God is far off from these people, but through the movements of the story, you can sense God's presence. You can sense God's care. It is subtle, but it is there, you know, a lot like our lives. It seems to me that Ruth might just be the story that we need right now. It takes place in a particularly dark time in the history of Israel. It is during the time of the judges. Um, Israel's leadership and Israel as a whole are just flipping back and forth from faithfulness to God to doing what is right in their own eyes. And if you've read through the pages of Judges, you know how awful some of those stories are. Um, one of the interesting things about the book of Judges is that you can track Israel's descent into chaos and civil war by watching how they treat women. You know, at the beginning of the book, Deborah is respected as a judge. And by the end, we are hearing about a severely violated and dismembered concubine. Um, it was a dark time. And the story of Ruth happens in the midst of all of that. And it begins with Naomi's despair. And she has lost her husband and her two sons, leaving her not only deep in grief, but also vulnerable without protections and without protection and also without prospects for income. Like her grief is deep and her situation is dire. She changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. She says, call me Mara because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. We are in a hard time too. You know, for a whole slew of different reasons, uh, soaring COVID cases and racism and politics, the hard talks that our church is having. You know, I just read a headline. <clears throat> I just read a headline saying that hate crimes are at an all-time high this year. So that's awesome. And um, it's super disheartening to say, but, you know, the church's role in that is not exactly where I would want it to be. It's a dark time. And all of this mess is having happening in the midst of all of the rest of our troubles that we face every day. You know, it's not like all those things stopped to make time for an epidemic. And I think a lot of us are tired and we long for a return to what we knew. For some of you, the weight of what you carry would be devastating without the added pressure of a pandemic, shading every trip to the grocery store and every friendship and even your church services for more than a year now. The book of Ruth is about faithfulness in the midst of what life gives us. You know, while in the book of Judges, we get this zoomed out picture of what's happening in Israel at the time, Ruth gets right up close to one family and their struggles and to their faithfulness in the midst of it. It's a picture of what we are called to all the time, even in the hard times. And while the world around them is going a little nuts, the people in the story are faithful. They are people of character, obedient to God, seeking to do good in the world. In particular, they act towards one another with hesed. And that word hesed is often translated as loving kindness or just kindness. Um, but it's one of those words that's sticky, sticky, that's tricky. <laughs> 
to <laughs> it's not a sticky word. Um, it's tricky to translate in, into English. It's kind of like love and loyalty mixed together. It's love that does not change or does not end. We sing, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies will never come to an end. That's Hesed. It's a love that is sturdy and dependable. And we read about God's Hesed all through the Old Testament. It's one of God's defining characteristics. And it's a major theme in the book of Ruth. The characters talk about God's Hesed, but then Ruth and Boaz both live out Hesed as well. While there are no miracles in the story and God doesn't seem to show up in any particularly obvious kind of way, Boaz and Ruth's practice of Hesed, of steadfast love, their obedience to what God has asked of them, their willingness to go beyond what is required for the sake of love, those things make God's presence palpable in the pages. Ruth behaves with Hesed towards Naomi by committing herself to her, despite the fact that she could have gone home to the comfort and protection of her own people in Moab. Orpah makes that decision, and there's nothing wrong with what Orpah chooses. Any of us who have built a family far from home might return if our spouse died. And for Orpah and Ruth, it is a choice between, between relative safety at home and poverty and danger with Naomi. The Bible contains countless protections for widows because they were among the most vulnerable people at the time. No way of making money and so getting food, no way of protecting themselves from danger. Ruth also shows her said by putting herself in this awkward position of proposing to Boaz on the threshing room floor by curling up at his feet when he sleeps. Again, she is acting in love in order to make a way for herself and for Naomi. And Boaz behaves with Hesed too. He is faithful to the gleaning laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, allowing people who are allowing the people who are poor to glean in his field. Those laws require farmers not to harvest around the edges of a field and also not to go over the field a second time, saying that that part of the harvest, what grows around the edges and what is left behind, that part belongs to the poor and not to the farmer at all. The commentators didn't make a big deal about this, but I would assume that when people are doing what is right in their own eyes, they might not be able to be counted on for that kind of generosity. But Boaz can be. And when Boaz spots Ruth in his field and he hears about what she has done for Naomi, he is moved by her noble character. Gleaning could be dangerous for her, but Boaz, Boaz makes sure that she is safe. He gives her food and he asks his farmhands to leave some extra for her, asking nothing in return for himself. Then when Ruth appears before him to ask him to redeem her family line, he does not expose her somewhat scandalous behavior, but he commits himself to caring for the family through marriage, even though she's a Moabite. And Moabites are Israel's enemy. The book repeats and repeats that Ruth is from Moab. The author seems to want us to pay attention to that. This is a story of love like God's that crosses boundaries of age, class, religion, nationality, and politics. It's such a small story, you know? It's a woman extending her love to her mother-in-law and a farmer extending love to a beggar in his field. 
It's a story of Naomi's weeping being turned to joy by the faithfulness and said of the people around her. And despite God's seeming absence, every single prayer in the book is answered through actions of faithful people, helped along by some chance meetings. You know, God's presence is really subtle, almost indiscernible, and yet you can't help but see it. You know, some of the wordplay in the story helps guide us, guide the reader into that conclusion. So for example, Boaz prays for Ruth, um, saying, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have chosen to take refuge. And then later in the story, when Ruth huddles at Boaz's feet and asks him to marry her, she says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. And that word for the corner of his garment, it literally means wing. In a way, Ruth is asking him to be the answer to his own prayer. And he does just that. One commentator said that in the book of Ruth, Yahweh moves through human actions that please him. Whenever people of faith practice God like has said towards each other, God himself acts in them. In such conduct, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Lately, I've been reading uh, Pope Francis's most recent encyclical. Um, an encyclical is just a letter to the church, um, but they come out in the form of a book. Uh, anyway, this one's called On Fraternity and Social Friendship. And in it, Pope Francis is tackling some of the world's biggest issues, wealth disparity and environmental degradation and the plight of refugees. And in all of his solutions, though they often contain discussion of economics and borders and globalization and world governments, all of his suggestions find their starting point in the smallest of things. That we would see humanity in every single person. That we would recognize the inherent dignity of those who bear the image of God, and that we would act accordingly, with no one forgotten or cast aside. His solutions begin with things like listening and friendship and extending care to one another, in refusing to let ourselves degrade or devalue any person. The gospel is sweeping, right? It, encom it, it encompasses the whole world, every system, every issue, but it is also necessarily particular. It's the, it finds its foundation and its fullness in love. And love is personal. It is precise and specific. You know, while we may at some point get the chance to make some big decisions, you know, that will impact lots of people, love always begins small. And our capacity to make those decisions well begins in our capacity to love. Love always begins small. It's attending to another's experience. It's a gentle touch. It's an act of service, a kindness in a farmer's field, or a friendship that you refuse to leave behind. It begins in these very small moments that no one might notice but ourselves. But this love is empowered by no less than the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Ruth tells us that even small acts of love can have a profound impact. Again, it's subtle, 
The book ends with a brief genealogy. It doesn't say anything about it. But it places Ruth and Boaz in the lineage of King David. And of course, we'll find Ruth's name again in Matthew 1, in the lineage of Jesus. These everyday acts of faithfulness in the wake of deaths, in the barley field, on the threshing room floor, has said, given where it didn't need to be, turning one woman's mourning into joy. It is these everyday things that give rise generations later to the person of Christ. And generations later again to us today, being encouraged by the simple faith of a Moabite widow and an Israelite farmer. Those people who chose in the midst of the chaos in their lives and in their country to act with faith and with love. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. We are in a hard time, but still our calling has not changed. We are asked to be faithful to our God even now. We may not turn out to be the heroes of some grand epic. We may not even notice the presence of God in our midst, let alone God's work flowing from our own fingers. But our calling is the same. Love God and love neighbor no matter what is going on around you. And know that the Lord your God moves through your acts of faithfulness in the same way that a hidden mustard seed will become a large tree. Our God moves through our small acts of faithfulness in ways that are sudden or subtle, hidden and powerful. May God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, teach us to be faithful. Lord, teach us to be obedient. Looking out for the least of these attending to those people who need our help when they cross our path. Let us be people who are willing to go farther than, is, than what is required for the sake of love. And Lord, may we be attentive to the ways that your kingdom is coming on earth, even through small acts of care through our own um, acts of hesed in our lives. Lord, may we be um, in this time of uh, struggle and stress, may we be comforted by the knowledge that we are just always called to the same thing. And that you continue to move 
even if your ways are sometimes quiet and hidden. In Jesus' name, amen.